Right. Um, welcome back, everyone, to Fazlift's episode 11. This is going to be a follow-up episode on the previous one to do with fasting. And this one is more specifically related to Ramadan, the upcoming um, Muslim event in which uh, Muslims all around the world will fast for a month. And this fast is actually going to be a dry fast. So what I'm going to do today is follow up the previous um, podcast through fasting. I would recommend you have a listen to that. And then also provide some more specific benefits to dry fasting, which aren't really talked about that often, but I've looked into them and they're, they're pretty interesting. Um, we are available on YouTube, SoundCloud, and iTunes. I would love to get some more positive reviews on iTunes. So if you can do that, that would be great. All right. So getting into this, I'm going to look at firstly practical tips on fasting. So if we start off with a, a kind of a brief, uh, just a view on how I think you could make your fast easier um, and safer for yourself. And then we'll look at some of the, the regular fasting benefits. And then we'll look at, finally, we'll look at some of the uh, dry fasting benefits um, as that's uh, going to be relevant for people who are observing Ramadan. So firstly, practical tips on fasting. Um, right, now the big thing here is going to be hydration. So, but what I want to do is I want us to talk a little bit about hydration because there's, there seems to be some misconceptions about this. A lot of people would consider hydration to just simply be um, water intake. So, yep, I'm hydrated, I have enough water. That's not strictly true. Um, water is a large part of it, but think about it like this. If you're building a house, you don't just need bricks, right? Bricks being the water. You need binders, okay? You need cement. You need something that's going to make the bricks stick. And that for us, in regards to water and hydration, is electrolytes and carbohydrates. So specifically, sodium and potassium, and then glycogen formed from ingesting carbohydrates. So let's kind of talk a bit about each. For the first one, carbohydrates, I don't think many people are going to have too much of a problem with that because after a fast, they're probably going to be hungry. Um, and then they're going to, well, as the religion dictates you, you open the fast with, with a traditional feast. So for the most part, people aren't really struggling that much with carbohydrates. The reason I'm going to put that in is for those people who may be using like a ketogenic type diet where there's zero carbs, you know, we have to kind of be aware of the fact that the body will release a lot of water. And with that, it may well make the uh, dehydration worse. So carbohydrates are definitely a part of it. And water is bound to the body via glycogen. Now, the second thing, which is really the most important thing, is electrolytes. Uh, this is hugely important. Uh, I, can't, I really can't understate the importance of this. Fortunately, over the course of the last, say, a couple of years, thanks to guys like Stan Efferding and um, whoever else, have, they've really popularized this idea of sodium. And I remember in the early days, Stan talking a lot about sodium, and he released lots of books, and everybody was on this salt kick. And that's great. Like, that's fantastic. However, it's only been recently that he started talking about potassium. And it's only recently where some of the UK coaches have started talking about potassium. And I've felt, that's, I felt for a long time that they've only really been talking about half the story. Sodium and potassium in the body act together. Okay? So it's kind of like <laughs> always focusing on, say, your carbohydrate intake and never focusing on your fat intake. So it's like, yep, I just, you know, 100 grams of carbs today, like I should be losing weight when your fat was like 500 grams or whatever. So, you know, it's, sodium and potassium, they work together uh, in the body. And without 
one, there'll be amplified effects of the other and, and possibly side effects. So a lot of times, for example, if we kind of just, I'm going to give you a few scenarios here. So a lot of times, for example, if you've got um, too high of a sodium intake, that can actually be addressed very, very well by increasing your potassium intake. So if your sodium intakes, let's say five grams, and your potassium intakes, let's say half a gram to a gram, that's a really bad ratio. If you even that up, so you're using, say, five grams of sodium, five grams of potassium from all sources, you're, you're going to have far less of those negative side effects from sodium. So just telling someone to decrease the sodium they ingest is absolutely not the full story. Um, and you'll find that some of the most popular blood pressure medications actually emphasize their, their mode of action uh, by decreasing sodium in the body, but also retaining potassium. So it's a, they're called potassium sparing uh, bl uh, blood pressure medications. So they're really kind of two sides of the, of, the, of the same coin. And when you're focusing on electrolytes, it's vital that you focus on both. Um, so in terms of general recommendations, I gave some in the, in the previous podcast, but I, I would shoot for, 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 an, for an active person, I would shoot for between three to five grams total of sodium and potassium at the same time. Now, that's going to be difficult to do within your eating window if you're, if you're observing Ramadan, but certainly you can load up on the sodium and potassium during the time that you're eating, which I think would be a good idea. Uh, and I just really wanted to highlight the fact that we really should be including potassium in that discussion as well, just slamming in a load of sodium while it'll do some good towards, uh, towards benefiting your hydration levels. It won't be quite as much as if you don't actually include potassium. And that's doubly true if you're exercising and it's doubly true if you're on medications of all sorts, which tend to strip the body of, of potassium. So a really quick sort of easy way of doing this is broth. Now, broth is fantastic. You can make um, bone broth would be, would be ideal, but really any kind of broth, chicken broth, vegetable broth, is, is really a good thing to have and keep in the house during Ramadan. So you can drink that, have some sort of vegetables in there as well. Uh, it can be a really, really nice, nutrient-dense um, recipe, which you can keep in the house, easy to warm up, and you can have that during the time when you're eating or even break your fast with it, and it'll give you a good shot of electrolytes, carbohydrates, and water as well, all the things you need to get hydrated. So it's really a, a perfect food for what we're doing here, what we're talking about. So that's the first tip, our practical tip on fasting. You, you, should, you should really be hydrated, and you should be observing all three factors that relate to hydration, which is carbohydrates, electrolytes, and water. Now, moving on, uh, fiber. Another thing I'd recommend to start your fast will be a high fiber meal. So avoid, you know, really junky kind of food as the last thing you eat. Try and have a decent amount of fiber. So you're looking at some kind of a large salad, for example, um, particular starchy vegetables like potatoes and stuff like that. I would try and emphasize a lot of those. They're going to hang around in your gut for a little bit longer. They're going to keep you, um, they shouldn't keep you fuller for a little bit longer and make sure your stomach is feeling good. So I'd recommend a high fiber meal just prior to, oh, to starting your fast. And the final thing is sleep. Uh, this is an unusual one, particularly for Ramadan, because depending on how long the fasts are, they can really affect your sleep. So you may well be uh, starting your fast early in the morning, way before uh, you might normally wake up, and then you're going till fairly late at night. If possible, try
try and adjust the sleep schedule. If possible, try and have naps. Try to try to continue to get enough sleep. I mean, the research in this is fairly clear. Um, even short-term lack of sleep can really affect your productivity, really affect your decision-making, really affect a lot of things that are going on in the body. Um, so try to prioritize sleep and feel free to even change your sleep schedule around during the course of the month to accommodate more sleep, which I think would be very helpful. So those are the, the big three takeaways, really. Hydration, um, high-fiber meal to begin the fast, and also try and adjust your schedule to make sure you're getting enough sleep. All right, now let's talk a little bit about sort of fasting benefits. So we talked quite heavily in the previous podcast about some of the benefits, including for me, which was appetite suppression, um, just generally feeling good. My acute health markers were looking very good. Um, and it was really, really an easy way for me to create a calorie deficit across the week. So if we kind of talk about what's happening inside the body and maybe a lot of what my, my audience are going to be guys and girls who go to the gym. So they may well be concerned about fat loss. Uh, uh, sorry, maybe concerned about, yeah, fat loss and muscle loss. So I wanted to kind of put some of those fears to rest. Now we know when we go on a calorie reduced diet, so let's say you reduce your calories by 500 or so, there's people kind of worry about losing muscle. You know, that's, that's, that's a fair concern. And certainly towards the end of a diet phase, there may be um, cause for that. You know, people may well lose muscle. Um, there is some interesting things that happen when we go from just a low calorie state to a complete cessation of food. And I find this really interesting because it, in my view, just looking at the research, there seems to be more of a benefit to going from to just existing in a state of either being very well fed or completely not eating to being very well fed and like slightly less well fed, less if you're on a regular diet. There seems to be a lot more benefits internally. And your body has a protective mechanism against um, just not eating altogether. It almost seems like your body works very, very well being in a fed state and it, you know, with eating completely fully, right to maintenance or even above. And it works very, very well on a completely fasted state. It's that slow trickle of food which is typified by normal diets like you know that no annoying kind of hunger which comes from just being like slightly under like 500 to 750 calories under your um your regular your regular food intake that sort of annoying hunger that comes with that that for me it seems to be that the body doesn't react to that as well so let me kind of explain what i'm talking about when you go for a prolonged period of time and you start a fast there's a uh, substance in the body called growth hormone, which gets upregulated. You start to release more and more growth hormone, particularly as you delve into the fasted state, which normally takes anywhere between 8 to 12 hours. So after 8 to 12 hours, which, by the way, co usually coincides with when people wake up and they, they see that kind of growth hormone release. Um, after that time, your body starts to spurt out more and more growth hormone. Now, I want to say a little bit about growth hormone first. People think people like this think of the name <laughs> they, they hear the name growth hormone and they think oh amazing this is gonna like this is the key to growth like it's not like even endogenous or even exogenous growth hormone it's not massively inherently um, related to muscle growth it just isn't like that's a myth in bodybuilding it is under the right circumstances with the right combination of other things so we want to kind of get, when you hear growth hormone, don't automatically think, wow, this is going to get me huge. It's really not. Cause I've actually heard people say that. I've heard fit pros. There was um, a girl I used to follow on 
uh, Instagram and uh, she'd actually learned from a university course. <laughs> they just taught her from a university course that yeah, when you're fasting, you become anabolic. You sort of build muscle because your growth hormone gets upregulated. And she put that on one of her stories. And I remember thinking, that is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life because, well, what's anabolic? Food is anabolic, right? Uh, growth hormone in the absence of a lot of calories, that's not anabolic. But what it is, is it's anti-catabolic. And that's really where our interest gets peaked relative to like just lowering your calories. Because if you just lower your calories, you're not going to get all those growth hormone spurts. You're, you're hormonally going to be somewhat similar to where you were just on maintenance. But during the complete cessation of food, we get this growth hormone release. And it seems to be fairly constant until you start ingesting food. Within the body, as you eat food, insulin rises and then growth hormone can't really uh, survive in that environment. It doesn't get released. So growth hormone and insulin are sort of antagonistic in that respect. So in the absence of insulin, growth hormone then gets upregulated. Now, important to remember, as I say, this is not an anabolic substance under this circumstance. It's an anti-catabolic substance, but that is really cool because once you're in the fasted state, your body switches over to start using more of the stored fat. Now, that's an interesting one, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here in terms of I don't want people to sort of take this out of context. Like, it doesn't mean you're going to turn into like a fat burning machine, which I'm sure you've heard people say that on the internet. Like, it's amazing fasting, like, it turns into a fat burning machine, blah, blah. Like, it's not strictly true because the fact of the matter is, if you burn, say, you know, 500 calories via uh, when you're in a fasted state, or you burn 500 calories if you're in a fed state, that's still 500 calories at the end of the day. It's still creating just a calorie deficit. It doesn't matter where it's come from. You see what I mean? So just the fact that you predominantly lose fat doesn't mean you're actually going to see a greater result at the end of the week. You're still, you're still probably burning the same amount of calories. So it's, it still is all about calories in versus calories out. That, that's always there. But, 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 but. What is really important is because growth hormone gets upregulated, your body chooses to use more of its free fatty acids. So it releases fatty acids into the bloodstream. Your body chooses to use more of that. Now, why is that important? Because it's then not using stored glycogen. Okay, it stops doing that. So you don't get like super flat. You don't get weak in the gym. That doesn't happen. All right. You might psychologically feel weak, but I will bet you that's more to do with your hydration and your electrolytes than it is to do with your actual glycogen stores. And I would, I would urge anybody who feels weak during Ramadan to make sure they're getting enough carbohydrates and electrolytes uh, when you are actually in the fed state. Uh, definitely urge you to get in your electrolytes. So this has a protective mechanism in the body whereby you preferentially burn fatty acids, you stop burning glycogen just at rest. You still would burn glycogen in the gym, obviously if you're lifting weights. Um, and it also has more of a protective mechanism against protein synthesis as well. So your body is always in a state of breaking protein down and, and, and adding protein to your body. So there's always a net, the net balance of that determines whether you gain muscle or lose muscle. And you know hormones like testosterone and all that kind of stuff that bodybuilders might use, that increases your rate of nitrogen retention. All right, so that's what puts you in an anabolic state. What this does is it prevents your body from excessively breaking down protein stores and muscle stores, and that's what the growth hormone does. So you've got a three-pronged attack there. One, your body preferentially burns free fatty acids. As a result of that, it doesn't touch your stored glycogen. And as a result of that also, with the growth hormone release, your protein retention is increased. So all in all, it's a protective mechanism to protect your stored muscle 
and to protect your collection stores. Now, I think that's pretty fucking cool. So, you know, we're not looking at these outrageous claims. I'm not trying to claim that it's like it turns you into a fat bin machine or anything nonsense like that. But this is a realistic view of what actually happens. And this is what we've seen in the research. So there is a protective mechanism to your muscles. So for everyone observing Ramadan or, or just regular fasting who thinks about, well, I'm going to lose muscle if I don't eat. It's not true. It's not true. You have a higher risk of losing muscle if you go on a severe calorie deficit than you have of actually being just in a completely fasted state. So being in a completely fasted state switches on a series of hormones, a state in the body, and which actually has a protective mechanism against your stores of protein as in muscles and glycogen within your muscles. And I think that's fantastic. I think that's, I think that's a really, really cool thing. Like it's, it's super complicated. It's it just, it just, it's just such a cool, such a cool thing that your body actually wants to be in the state and it's, it's able to protect its muscle stores. It doesn't, it doesn't just eat away, uh, which I think is really cool. And as I say, it points to, um, it points to some positives to this sort of intermittent fasting approach that that I'm I've been talking about recently, where you go from a fully fed state to then a complete cessation of food, and and you avoid that sort of in between gnawing, nagging hunger kind of stage. So I think it's pretty cool. Either be fed or be fasted. Nothing in between. Right. The second thing that happens uh, within the body, uh, and then this is something that's talked about quite a lot and kind of overblown. I'm going to try and give you a fairly um, balanced view on this. It's a process in the, cell, in the body called autophagy. And that is when old cells get recycled into new cells. It's kind of like your, your cells are almost like they're kind of regenerating themselves, basically. Now, this has been, this has been really overblown in the media uh, previously. And like people, and especially, especially on things like Instagram, when everybody wants to kind of make an impact, um, people really overblow this. Autophagy basically happens all the time. Like your body is always renewing itself. Like that happens all the time. When you enter the fasting state, all that happens is that it gets accelerated. So the benefits of autophagy is it, it, it makes you feel better. It, it renews your body, essentially. That, that's kind of what's happening. And I, I suspect a lot, there's a lot of that in, in terms of the way you like. You'll find after you've been fasting for a while, your skin is better. Um, you sleep better. Things just feel a lot better. Uh, after a while, you'll sort of notice that. If you can kind of put away the hunger for a minute, you'll notice a lot of real positive benefits to your skin and sleep and digestion, all that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of that is probably related to this. So autophagy is quite an important one. I'm going to leave you guys to kind of research that if you want. There's a lot out there. All I'd say is try and stick to PubMed and official sources of information uh, rather than believing the hype because there's a lot of hype around it. It's not like it's beneficial, but it's, it's not sort of a, you know, elixir of youth or anything like that. So just to kind of summarize some of the regular fasting benefits uh, on top of some of the stuff that I talked about in the last podcast. So please do have a listen to that. Growth hormone gets regulated and that means that you're less likely to lose muscle, which I think is really cool because it's your body's own protective mechanism against losing muscle, which I think is, which I think is sweet. And then I think well, autophagy happens uh, as well, which also makes you feel good. And, and it's good for your body, good for longevity. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about specifically dry fasting. And this is what happens during Ramadan. So you're not allowed, Muslims, when they're fast, they're not allowed to have water either. Uh, so no water and no food for a large portion of the day. So this is, this is, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone because I think being in a chronically dehydrated state is definitely not healthy. But 
if you're observing Ramadan, this that's going to happen anyway. Like it's just going to happen. So you've accepted that risk. So what I'm about to say, there are some benefits of dry fasting, but it's not something that I would recommend to the average person on the street unless you understand the risks involved. Okay, that's all I'm going to say on that. Now, within your body, your body needs water for 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 lots of things. You know, it's essential for survival, of course. Now, there are certain things that happen to the body when you remove uh, exogenous water. So if you stop drinking water, ingesting water, certain things that happen, your body still needs water. Okay. So what does it do? The dehydration effect causes your body to create water itself. So it's endogenous water. So water, as we know, is H2O. Okay. Um, two hydrogen molecules, an oxygen molecule. So the hydrogen molecules, they are liberated from your body, particularly from your fat stores. As your, your fats are, are liberated from your body, they liberate hydrogen. Oxygen from the air you breathe, they match those two together to form your body's own endogenous um, water. Now, that's the first thing that happens when you start dehydrating. So we've already started to see that there's an accelerated fat loss because your body is actually pulling from fat stores to create water that it needs because you've stopped drinking as well. So there is potentially an increase in fat loss from being in a dehydrated state for, and also fasting. Now, the second thing that happens is this. I, I'm going to say this with a big kind of disclaimer that I've seen a little bit about this, but I've not seen that much direct human research on this. So take it with a pinch of sodium and potassium, a pinch of salt. Um, there are inflammation in the body, like inflammation, edemas, cysts, all, all this kind of these, these, these bad things that kind of happen in the body. Um, none of those can survive without water. So the second thing that your body will do is as autophagy is occurring and as these things are being fixed and, and old cells are being um, regenerated and recycled, your body will look to pull water from any areas which are holding water, like edema, like if you have swollen ankles or whatever, or if there's inflammation in your body, or if you have like cysts and stuff like that, your body will begin to pull water from there and use that then as its own endogenous water uh, to do all the variety of metabolic processes that, uh, that occur in the body. That is pretty interesting. So we've got a couple of things occurring there. One, an increased rate of fat loss, potentially, uh, as your body creates water from the hydrogen and the oxygen that you breathe. And secondly, a reduction in the inflammation, the edema, the cysts and stuff like that in your body. So a reduction in the bad stuff in your body as the body renews itself and it removes water from those areas. So think of that as like a really supercharged kind of rejuvenation, regeneration cycle. So that is exclusive to dry fasting because it's the it hinges on the fact that you're not taking in exogenous water so you're not drinking water um so i, I yeah i i just thought i want to throw that in just specifically for you guys who are doing dry fasting as part of it um because i think it's some some benefits i don't recommend i'll just say it again i don't recommend trying it if you're not committed to doing it for you know your religious reasons um i think uh, dry fasting and being chronically dehydrated has its own dangers but it's pretty interesting that potentially there's some cool stuff that's happening in the body as its protective mechanisms for you know these environmental states that we put ourselves through. Okay. 
Right. I am going to call it there. So that was um, a follow-up in particular looking at um, some of the internal benefits of fasting and also uh, fasting for Ramadan and some of what you could expect and just to kind of help to put your mind at ease if you are attempting to start a fasting protocol or you know if you're uh, doing that as part of your religious beliefs so just to kind of put your mind at ease if you're a gym goer that you know it's not all bad and your body actually works with you to protect your muscle to protect your glycogen stores during the course of a fast um, all right um hope that was useful and i will talk to you all next time